What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, for another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This is going to be episode number 30, so that's right. The podcast has turned 30 episodes old, and on this week's episode, we're going to be having a brand new guest. We're going to have former Booster Draft National Channel, Josh Knitt, sit down with us and give us some strategy and do a deep dive into Booster Draft. And on this episode, we'll also be picking our week three winner for our six-week giveaway. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it. Thanks for being here, as always. What's up, guys? John Hendricks here, as always, for another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking about Booster Draft with Josh Knitt former national champ in booster draft. But due to some technical difficulties that we had getting that lined up and getting sound going last night when we actually recorded, I ended up just recording the conversation with him. So we'll have that conversation in just a bit with him. But as far as the news and the first part of the podcast that I always do, the giveaway and all of that, you guys are just going to be stuck with me, okay? So we're going to have to make the most of it. This week, we do have some new content that has come out. We've got Redemption with Jaden has a video with his Choose the Fool deck, which if you recall a few weeks ago, this was a deck that he built on his channel, kind of took us through the process. Also, Tyler has put out a new video on a deck called Resetti, and this is a deck that is trying to utilize both a new beginning and three nails to reset the game state at least twice. So as the opponent puts down counters and gains board advantage, this deck is, you know, trying to reset the game state back to basically the turn one beginning of the game. So there's that. Also, friend from last week's episode, Rob M. from Rob M. Studios, has a GOC versus Your Turn Games contender deck video out, and that's available now, so you can go and check that out. And with that, I think that's all of the new content that I know of, unless I am missing something. And if I am, I apologize. So week three giveaway is here. So as far as picking the winner. So for the week three giveaway, we're going to go ahead and pick the winner. And... Because I'm unprepared, it's going to take me a moment to go and find the riddle as I provided it to you guys before. So just bear with me. All right. So last week's riddle for week three, we had, I am the greatest financier in the Bible. I floated my stock while everyone was in liquidation. Who am I? And... So I mentioned that it was about finances trying to throw you guys off, but it did not work because you guys knew that I was talking about my boy, Noah, one of the most splashable heroes that's ever graced the game of redemption, for better or worse. But it is Noah, and this week we had a, and you got to keep in mind the first two winners, which were Rob M. and Luke Marshall. Those guys are not entering each week, so we're losing one person entering each week. But the numbers keep going up on participation levels, so that's good to see. 
I think we had um, 16 correct answers this week. Thank you all for participating. And I've got my app here with week three correct um, respondents listed in it. And we are going to spin the wheel. And we'll hit a drum roll because I've added that to the sound pad. The winner is Kai Murphy. Mr. Kai Murphy, you join Luke Marshall and Rob M. as the first three winners of the play mats that we are giving away. And so we'll reach out, you know, as time gets closer, we'll reach out to get shipping details. And again, just to stress, if Kai, Luke, or Rob win one of the week five or six combined gifts of a contender deck and a play mat, then I have the name saved here and we'll take their name out and we'll spin and give away the play mat that they have already won. No person will win more than one play mat. So want to make sure that we take this opportunity to thank everyone for participating, but also thank our sponsors at Covenant Games. Thank them for, you know, providing the play mats to give away and sponsoring the podcast to make sure that it's a long-term staple for the community here. And also want to thank our friends at Your Turn Games for providing the contender decks that we'll be giving away in weeks five and six. So make sure that you go through the, you know, steps to make sure you're you're getting the, the maximum entries for week six. If you want to submit up to three reviews of the podcast, you can use the same form to submit proof of review to get up to four entries into the week six giveaway for the final contender deck and play mat. So, Kai Murphy, you are the winner, and that's going to bring us to week four and the last one that's just a play mat and then week five and six contender deck. This week's riddle. Are you ready? Are you ready? I will tell you, as far as a hint goes, this answer can be found in rotation within the game of redemption. So this is going to be a card that is rotation legal. And the question here is, I am the only character in the Bible who does not have a father. Who am I? I am the only character in the Bible who does not have a father, who am I? And this riddle, if it is too difficult, blame John Early because he found this one. So that's the week four riddle. And make sure you get your answers in using the same form. So with that, we will move into some recent spoilers that have come out for the game. And we will first focus on the K&L Spoilers that came out on Thursday. And we have a new version of David's Heart besides the new winter promo. So we've got David's Harp. It's an artifact. It does involve music, obviously. And this card is uh, or has an ability that says, You may underdeck a first Samuel hero from discard pile or reserve. So it's a way to get your David back potentially or to get a hero from your reserve. And then we have David's Victory. And this card is under deck all evil characters in battle. 
So it's a mass under deck battle winner. So we have that. And those are the two from the KNL starter decks, which will be first uh, debuted or featured at nationals. And then the official versions of those will come out a couple of months after nationals. So with that, we'll move on to the GOC phase two spoilers that we have. And we have moved on from the angels and demons that we were in for a little while there. And now we are focusing on Herod's. And with that, we have the first one is going to be Herodias. And Herodias is one that we had seen previously in a limited capacity back when they were just spoiling mostly the artwork. And so this one is territory class. It's royalty. It is mono brigade evil gold, evil character. It says, while a Herod is in play, restrict opponents from searching any reserve. So as soon as you have a Herod in play, you can restrict opponents from searching any reserve, which is going to be a strong counter option. And then may ban to Herodias' daughter, or if blocking, you may take beheaded from discard pile, or deck or discard pile. So beheaded, that's a card we haven't quite seen yet. So that'll take us into our second spoiler here. So Herodias does seem to be pretty strong, but as we get ready to, to talk about beheaded here, I would like to say that someone mentioned what kind of artwork would be on beheaded. And my first guess, you know, just looking at the options that are in the public domain, I nailed it. So little pats on back for myself. We've got beheaded. And this is a 5-0 Mono Brigade Gold Evil Enhancement. So Evil Gold Territory Class. And I think the Territory Class is very important because this is a pretty strong ability. And it says, discard a hero, a token, or a captured character. So that's what you're going to do in Territory. Then, if played in battle, you may banish that card instead. Cannot be prevented if John the Forerunner is in play. So Herodias can ban to Herodias's daughter. Or if you block with her, you can take Beheaded from deck or discard pile. And Beheaded has a really strong ability that lets you clear out heroes. That takes us to Herod the Great. Now Herod the Great is a 1210 evil character, Mono Brigade Evil Gold, warrior class. He has some pretty beefy numbers. And he has quite a few identifiers. He is Edomite, Roman, Herod, and King. And his ability is you may discard a random card from a reserve. If you do not, you may play Herod's Temple or a Herod from deck. You may choose a hero to attack. Cannot be negated. So Herod the Great seems to be pretty strong. Has that CBN ability. And also is going to allow you to manipulate in the reserve by discarding a random card from a reserve. We already know Evil Gold wants to send some cards to the reserve. You pair that with New Testament Gold, and it seems like you might be able to manipulate you know, resources that the opponent has access to. Because as you're putting them in the reserve, you're adding ways to get rid of them from the reserve as well. So that takes us to Herod Agrippa the first, And this is... Another Mono Brigade Evil Gold 
evil character. He's warrior class. The numbers are 11 and 9. And his identifiers are Roman, Herod, and King. His ability is negate a card. While more than one hero is in battle, protect this card from heroes and opponents' dominance. Cannot be prevented. So you come in, you get to negate a card, which means that this is going to be for this for this theme, potentially a lurking target, you know, bring it in after the fact to negate a card. And then while one more than one hero is in battle, protect this card from heroes and opponents' dominance cannot be prevented. So pretty strong ability. Um that takes us to, I guess I got out of order here because I actually pulled up. I had left one or two of these cards off of my list just because we've had a, a decent amount of spoilers come out this past week. And so I pulled up the read-only channel for Phase 2 spoilers and then started going by the order that they had there. So these are not the order that they were spoiled, but I digress. That takes us to Conspiring Herodians. I'm going to give you one guess, guys. What brigade do you think it is? All right, you got it. Nope, no play mat for this win, though. So it is a mono brigade, evil gold character. Not warrior class this time, but it is territory class. And this is a generic fool. And that brings with it the limit one fool per territory. So the star ability with every other fool that we have, give this card to opponent's territory. Then the ability is each upkeep, you must reserve the top card of deck. If this card is discarded, discard a hero in territory. So each upkeep, you must reserve the top card of your deck. If this card is discarded, discard a hero in territory. Which means if you find a way to get rid of it besides like bouncing it under deck, if you just discard it, you're going to have to give up a hero as well. But each upkeep having to reserve the top card of your deck, that's a that's a pretty strong thing. Especially when, if you have a Herod out and Herodias, you're going to be limiting your opponent's ability to search their reserve. So, it'll be interesting to see if that fool sees some play with Herod builds. Let's see, Herodias' daughter comes up next. She is evil gold 2-2. Two, two. And she has the royalty identifier. And she says, you may take Dance of Death from discard pile or reserve. So just like Herodias can potentially, while she's blocking Recur, be headed, Dance of Death can be recurred with Herodias' daughter from the discard pile. And then the rest of her ability says, if blocking... You may reserve a good card in a territory. That's pretty good. Reserve a good card in a territory. So any card, good. So you could reserve their good three woes. You could reserve their territory class negate character that they have. So lots of options there. So you can reserve that good card in the territory or, or I'm sorry, and or exchange this card with a Herod from territory or reserve. Man. That's really strong. So this is one of those Joshua the Conqueror type where you come in, do something, and then you can exchange. So she can come in, take Dance of Death from Discard Pile, and then reserve a good card in a territory. 
and then exchange this card with a Herod from territory, uh, which is, you know, the ones that have the Herod identifier. So that'd be like Herod the Great that we mentioned or Herod Agrippa. Um, and then she introduced us to another card in her ability, Dance of Death. And Dance of Death is a Mono Brigade Evil Gold enhancement that is two and four on the numbers. And its ability is whew, name a hero. Discard all copies of the named hero. Now, obviously, that defaults to in play. If a Herod is in play, discard all copies of the named hero from opponent's hand, deck, and reserve. I got a feeling this is going to be a massively played card in Type 2 where you can run... I, I would assume, based on the, the deck-building rules, you could run four of these. And so that's four different times you could potentially discard all copies of a named hero from hand, deck, and reserve, where you know generic characters can potentially be ran up to four in Type 2. So I would assume it, it sees some play there. But the fact that it can be recurred with Herodias' daughter... Dance of Death seems really strong, even in Type 1. Like, I, I see the use for it in Type 2, which I'm being slowly corrupted, I guess, because Jaden and Tyler will probably be proud of the fact that the first thing I think about is the fact that this is going to be bonkers in Type 2, even though I've never played a Type 2 game. So I'm slowly being corrupted. I don't know if that's a... Should I be proud or should I be, you know, worried about that? I don't know. I guess we'll remain to... Uh, that remains to be seen. But Dance of Death seems like a really strong card. So you've got Beheaded. That's going to be getting rid of heroes, tokens, or captured characters. And then you've got Dance of Death. Both of these are recurrable with the Herod defense. The Herod defense is going to be massively strong. So, I mean, guys, just Wow. I don't know what else to say. Like, it seems like they're going to have a lot of ability to recur some some destruction and make you have to go through some resources to get around them. So I know that's going to be fun to, to play. Looking forward to Phase 2, and Phase 2 will be releasing at Nationals, which is going to be in North Liberty, Iowa, on July 28th through 31st. I believe. I think that's right. So make sure you make your plans to join us there. And Phase 2 will be debuting in Booster Draft. So looking forward to that. And with that, we will go ahead and move into our conversation. So I'm going to bring up the conversation that we recorded with Josh. And here we go. All right, so we are here with Josh Kinnett, and we are going to be talking about Booster Draft. Josh, since you are just joining the podcast for the first time, you want to um, tell the people a little bit about yourself and your experience with the game of Redemption? Sure. So I started playing around the end of 2005 when my brother got the G&H starter decks for Christmas as a present from I don't know who, but yeah. The two of us played each other a few games. We started getting into it. Um, my first tournament was later in 2006, 
and that's when I first played Booster Draft, actually, my first uh, time ever learning about it was at the tournament. Okay, in the GNH, that was one of you guys playing with Moses, and the other one had, it had some disciples, right? Yeah, so I think I was the one who got the uh, Moses and the Red Dragon deck, which I think is the best one. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, I remember my brother got some loose packs, and I saw a falling away in one of them, and I was like, yep, this is going in my deck, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure he didn't really win too many games after that. I mean, we were playing wrong anyways, both of us, you know, not understanding really special initiative and stuff, and when you could play dominance and all that stuff, but still. Um, after that, we went to our my first tournament. I got more into the game. He kind of stopped playing. Um, the next year, 2006, was when Priest came out, and that was the first time I played Booster Draft, was with the Priests. Like, the very first time you could ever play the Booster Draft at our tournaments. And it was kind of a... Well, it was a learning experience, I guess. I've definitely had a few learning experiences with Booster myself. Um, I would not consider myself good at Booster Draft, but from your first experience there, you got better at Booster Draft because you do have some some pretty high placings at you know the state and above level of tournaments. So how have you fared at state regionals and nationals with Booster Draft? Um, I, I don't really know about states. Like, I don't really keep track of all the state stuff because I've, I've won a lot of state stuff. Uh, regionals, kind of the same for booster draft. I don't, it hasn't been too many for regionals. But nationals, I had that run of like 2014, I got first. 2015, I got like third or tied for third or something. And then 2016, I got first again. Uh, 2017 was the last nationals I was at and I was, I think one game away from getting first if the souls came up right, but unfortunately not so much. Nice. Nice. So from all of the experience that you have with booster draft, what is your favorite memory or experience with the category? Uh, trying to pick like one, like even even just trying to remember back those games, you know, that you remember, Oh yeah, that was a, that was a good draft. It's tough. I, I remember lots of different interactions, little things like one of our old players, um, was kind of older. He would, uh, play with us in booster draft just to kind of fill out a category, but you know, he attacks with a red hero and tries to play green on him, not realizing that it's a different color because we find out that he can't even tell the colors apart. He's like completely colorblind. <laughs> um, there's another time where one of my friends, we were drafting with the tins and he forgot to put in heroes apart from the two heroes that he drafted from the tins. So, he draws one, I think, in the opening hand out of two heroes in his whole deck and proceeds to win 
I think four unopposed lost souls with it just because we know it's like his only hero. And I pretty sure he actually won that game, which is a little unbelievable. I guess that booster draft version of hero light. <laughs> I, unintentionally. Yeah. He, I mean, he had the enhancements and stuff, but yeah, he just kind of blanked on drawing the heroes, which is a really big part of the category. Where, where does booster draft rank for you as far as categories that you've enjoyed playing within the game of redemption? Uh, so when I started out, you know, I was with pretty much everyone when they start out, you know, type one, two player, it's like the go-to category, you know, I wanted to make a really good deck, but the cards that I had were not great. I would just fill in colors with the colors that I had the most of, and it didn't end up too good for quite a while till I started getting better cards and booster draft helps with that. You know, you start, you know, drafting here and there, you end up picking some pretty nice cards somewhere along the way if you're even remotely lucky which uh pretty much everyone can be at some point or should be and you know from there i just kind of fell in love with it it's different every time like you can draft kind of the same way but you're not going to have the same deck even close from game to game to game and the people that you play against are always going to be different. Um, yeah, I would say it's easily my favorite category. Just because the skill gap is a lot smaller, I would say. Yeah, I can see that. So you mentioned the learning experience of the first time that you interacted with Booster Draft. So what would you compare the learning curve for booster draft to be compared to type one do you think someone comes in and can get better at booster draft quicker than they can at type one? Oh, easily yeah there's far less complicated situations apart from weird old oddly worded cards coming up in booster that would never come up in type one but you know in type one you got all sorts of special initiative messes and ability interactions that just don't come up in booster at least on a regular basis because booster doesn't have the super competitive like tight streamlined deck building that type one has it's more of whatever you can use you use at least in some capacity there's not as many rules to remember in booster speaking of rules what do you think are the the more necessary rules to know for the format um, and I'll, I'll tell you, the first time that I played Booster Draft, I was at uh, Jay and Jeremy's, uh, the Chamber Brothers, and I drafted a bunch of sites because I was like, I'm going to put souls in sites. And I wasn't told until we were building the deck after we had drafted, you can't put them. They, they thought that I was aware of the rules. I was not that you can't put souls in sites in Booster Draft. So... I was kind of just aggravated from that first experience there, but knowing the rules is a big part of it for how you're going to draft. So what are the the more necessary rules for you to remember as you're getting ready to draft and build a deck? So that's kind of interesting too, because the rules have changed a lot since I started. Um, especially like two player booster versus multiplayer booster. I think, you know, two player booster, you can't, 
put souls in sight. Um, multiplayer booster, I'm pretty sure last I checked you still could do that. So sites are still like viable in that regard. Not too great, but at least they're not completely worthless. But no, when I started, you know, it was pretty much anything goes. If you drafted multiple dominance, you could use them. Um, if you drafted multiple heroes, I mean, you can still use those. You just can't have them out at the same time, like a type two sort of thing. Um, name on name bonus used to be a thing that was really good with, you know, Moses covenant with Moses, all that old stuff. That's no longer a thing. Um, multicolor enhancements. You can have more than one of in booster. If you manage to draft like the King's ones, like the belt of truth and all that stuff, uh, of one mind, uh, apostles, there's plenty of stuff like that. I don't think you can have more than one of the same dominant in your deck anymore. Like you used to be able to, like if you draft two destructions, you can't use both of them, stuff like that. Um, I don't know what else there would be outside of that. That's really a big difference in booster. Um, outside of being able to use multiple copies of, you know, the same enhancements, same characters, like you can't do in type one. So you, you got to kind of be on the lookout for, oh, I drafted a battle cry or something. I can, you know, always draft more of that and that'll be really good in either situation. But if you draft, you know, multiples of, uh, you know, sites and you're playing two player, uh, obviously you can't use them, I guess. At least you can't put souls in them. Other than that, uh, I'm not thinking of a whole lot that's completely different that would totally shake up the category where, like, if you don't know this rule, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage, like you were saying with the sites. Yeah. It's been a while since I played Booster Draft. Um, really, I think I've done it once this like tournament cycle since Nationals last year. But I think I've only played it four or five times total. So from someone with a lot more experience doing it, how would you explain the drafting process to someone that's not familiar with it or hasn't done it in a long time? Uh, are we talking like first timers here or are we talking like returning players who are you know trying to relearn the draft um can we can we kind of word it for both i know there's a lot of a lot of players that like you said you you usually gravitate towards type one two player and then you know this is one of the first categories that you branch out to this and sealed deck just because you don't have to have a wealth of cards to do it so i know that there's newer players that are newer to the game overall that are interested in it, but also, I guess, returning players, if, if you don't mind just touching on both of those. Yeah, so newer players might be better served looking at certain uh, cards that they might want to get out of each pack and then going specifically for those cards. Like, I remember when I started, you know, my very first booster draft, I was like, you know, looking at the priest cards and being like, wow, you know, I don't have any of these cards. Maybe I should just take those. And, you know, I did. I, I took that Holy of Holies over some, you know, good hero. And I, I suffered for it. But in the end, 
you know, it kept bringing me back. You know, I got to see what new cards I can get this time. I got to see what I can pull. And, you know, that, that helped me at least, uh, you know, build a familiarity with the cards, which is very important. And it helped me want to return and keep doing it to see what kind of new stuff I could get. Because I, my only experience with, you know, seeing all the cards was the one player, the host at our tournament, had his binder with everything in it. And you could look at it. Like, I didn't know about the message boards or anything like that. But no, for the returning players then, you know, they already have a f pretty familiarity with uh, how the constructed side goes. At least more than new players should. So... You know, they generally know, okay, I got to get battle winners, got to get heroes, all that stuff. You got to keep kind of a balance of your brigades. You have to look out for certain specially powerful cards that are just like, you only need one of like an unholy raid or something in your pack. And you're like, yep, I'm taking that. Other than that, like, everyone drafts a little differently. Some people focus more on defense. And I think newer players tech typically do this more, where they'll, they'll go for a lot of, you know, just bigger stuff or stuff that matches, even though it might not be great or individually powerful things that may or may not serve them the best, which is fine. I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the newer players also tend to build their decks kind of like you got to fit as much in as you can. Like I've seen it many times where they'll bring like 70 plus card decks where they just fit as much as they can in, which, yeah, you know, more power to them, but... At the end of the day, it's not going to serve them as well versus uh, playing it like a constructed category. So how much of the draft process is luck-based versus strategy? Like, you open your packs, and obviously you're limited you're, because you're drafting from what is in your individual pack. You know, you get first pick of whatever's in that pack before you pass it the first time. Yeah, like part part of that is luck that comes in, but how much is of that is able to be overcome? Like if you get bad luck, you don't have anything good in your pack. How much of strategy can you know alleviate the bad luck there? So most of the luck that you're talking about, I think, comes in where you're seated at the table. We're talking about multiplayer booster draft here, and how the souls come up. Most of everything else, like, oh, I didn't get, you know, very good heroes or whatever, can be overcome just playing the game, using what you have. Um, but you can't really change, like, oh, I didn't get soul or soul generation, and I don't have any souls to rescue. Then you're just kind of stuck. That's that's where the luck part comes in. And that's that's not really something you can overcome if you don't get the cards, if there's nothing available to you. As as far as like, you know, oh, I drafted, uh, you know, Chariots of Fire or something, then yeah, 
that's fine. That's that's a big luck thing, but it's not like you're going to win or lose based on that solely. There's a lot of strategy individually in the games that can come up that can sway the game in your favor if you know how to take advantage of it. So you would you would say that booster draft is not necessarily won or lost exclusively in the deck building phase, but you know, drafting and deck building, but also in the gameplay. Oh yeah. People with the best deck will not always win the tournaments. That's for sure. Like you can be at the final table with the worst deck, but you know, just because the souls came up your way, you could still walk away with it. Okay. Are there any certain deck strategies? Obviously, you you've got all of the card pool available that that's stuck on the back backside of new bo- uh, booster sets, and then also, you know, whatever older packs you might be using. So, you get a wide spanning, um, I guess, time period from the the game's history. So you could have th- elements that do like hand control, things that are trying to you know do the ignore. I know that there was the rule change to ignore, but just different, you know, ways of trying to rescue and block. Are there any that are more viable than others in this format? Yeah. So in the past, you know, when priests were drafted, burning incense, that was the card to get. I believe that's what it's called. The teal one that ignores, um, burning incense. Yeah, I think so. Uh, anyway, that, those kinds of cards used to be the absolute best because then you could leave the opponent with their blocker to block somebody else. You know, they wouldn't feel like they were losing the battle. It wouldn't spend too many resources. Uh, protected your heroes very nicely. Ignore used to be the, the way to go for, like, if you had it as an option. There's a few... A few... of very powerful ignore cards that you could draft. Otherwise, um, if you can get any sort of choose the blocker cards, like Ehud especially, choose a blocker first strike, uh, the blue Patriarchs card, that's like the best kind of hero you could get. Something that forces your opponent to respond in a way that you are expecting that you can plan for and something that probably puts them at a bigger disadvantage for it. There's other sets where you know you're like coming into Apostles and you're like, okay, there's not much here to work with. I'm just going to go for some big characters, hope I get some enhancements for them. Other sets, you know, like Kings, you got to keep in mind, okay, there's a lot of these warrior class heroes, and a lot of them can band to each other, but only certain books can they ban too so you gotta look out and you gotta keep a watch for those ones that may or may not come around and come back to you you take the more generic banding ones typically in any set if you got a hero that bans you you want to pick it up because then you can use your own opponent's offenses and you don't have to draft so hard on that other sets, you know, they started introducing tin cards in the packs. So if you see those going around, you can expect, okay, I got blue, so I'll have some Genesis stuff. I can start thinking about that. 
or if you see the judge's stuff, you're like, okay, got to think, did the person draft Angel Under the Oak or something? And they pass me a Samuel. You got to look at all the outside factors that might come in in those areas and kind of judge your decisions based on what you see there. I would say that's kind of where the strategy is as far as drafting goes and the uniqueness of each individual set, what they can bring to the table. Do you have a particular strategy when it comes to, so you've just opened your first pack at the very start of the drafting process. Do you just go for best card available there or do you focus early on, like you want to get heroes early on? Do you focus on a certain card type? What What's the strategy that you use when you're cracking open that first pack? So I know uh, Nationals 2016, I opened my first pack. We did Kings first, and I got a Michael in there. So right away, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be in silver because, you know, Michael's one of the best heroes you can get. So after that, I did a focus on getting silver heroes, getting some silver enhancements, um, I know other packs like priests, if you open a King of Tyrus or something, you're going to be looking for some orange stuff maybe to go with that. Or if you get a teal hero like, uh, Phineas 12, eight, you're going to be looking for teal stuff. There are certain cards that will automatically put you in a brigade. If you get them like all the fight by the number heroes, they're pretty much good enough to be run on their own, but it's usually best to have some sort of enhancements to back them up. Most people will be playing with at least bigger characters on defense. They'll be able to block at least initially. So you'll want to have something to go with them. So you're going to be looking for those things. If you pull certain very strong heroes like the Iras and the Benayas and Moses and all that stuff, other than that, um, I usually will look for good cards over evil cards pretty much always, unless there's a, an absurdly powerful evil character, like a Philistine garrison or something that I really don't want anyone else to have. As long as it's, you know, not eclipsed by a better good card in the pack. If there's a good hero, I will never feel bad about taking that. If there's a good enhancement, you know, later on, I might not have any characters in that brigade. I will probably pass it up. Even if I know somebody else is drafting that just because it won't serve me much good on its own. Whereas the heroes on the other hand will pretty much always serve you good. If you can draft at least like one enhancement maybe to go with them because throughout booster draft you're you're going to be you know opening your drawing eight cards for your first hand you're going to be looking for things that go together and after that it's like okay i got this hero i know i have this enhancement in my deck i should probably wait until i draw that enhancement or something else to go with it before i attack with this hero that way you're spending your resources wisely you're not, uh, you know, blindly throwing things out. You're not thinking, 
oh, you know, I'll just bluff with this. Uh, that sometimes works, but not always. You want to try and match things up when you're going through the games. So when you're drafting, you want to look at what can get you the most value for one-to-ones. Like Big Hero with a negate battle winning enhancement. Like a, like a Bartholomew with a uh, Abraham's Servant to Ur, those blue cards. 10-10 Hero, 2-3, negate all blue enhancement. I think except banding. But in any case, that's usually good enough to get a soul. So stuff like that, where you can draft like the least amount and still get the most value of, that, that's stuff that I look for. You use the example that if you see that Michael come up, that you'll know that you're in Silver Brigade and you'll start working on stuff for that. How often do you are... So if you, in that first pack, you're you're in Silver, and then the second pack doesn't yield anything that helps benefit that. And, you know, even the cycle going around the table with the other packs. How far in do you go before you would change your, your strategy and say, okay, it was good off that first pack, but now I need to course correct? Because sometimes I'll pick a hero that's strong or um, just a card that's strong, thinking that I'll be able to use it. And then two or three packs in, I still haven't found anything that goes with it. So how, how far in do you, you go before you maybe change your strategy on what you're picking up out of each pack? So typically after the first pack goes around a complete cycle and everybody knows all the cards, at least other than what other people have picked, you'll get a general sense of, okay, I'll focus on, you know, this for the rest of the cycle. Um, And then if the other packs come up, you know, say we draft um, Disciples or something later and all of a sudden a lot of purple stuff comes up, then you're like, okay, I'll I'll probably switch to this color, at least for now. So you have a lot of different options. You're not just stuck on, okay, I got I got gold, so I'm only looking for gold stuff. No, you want to be as flexible as possible. You don't want to limit yourself in that way. I would not typically keep just one good brigade to start, I would take like two and then see where it goes from there. If I don't get anything out of like the third pack for those brigades, I'm probably focusing on another thing at that point. I'm not going to, you know, die on that hill of, oh, I got to have silver. Like, it's fine if I just get the one hero. You know, the opponents don't know that I have just that one hero. It might work out. Yeah, and I guess at that rate, at least you're still keeping them from having that hero from the first pack, if it is a really strong one. Um, You mentioned that you value good over evil early on in the process. How far in do you go before you start trying to pick up defense? uh, You you mentioned that a lot of newer players, you know, kind of do some kind of wonky things. I have pretty much every booster draft that I've done has been defense-heavy just because it's easier to pick up defense because everybody's leaving the good cards. And mm. so I've fallen into that trap a few times. So how far in do you go before you start looking for key blocks that you can get put together? So in multiplayer, you know, I've, I've kind of looked at some of my deck lists that I've posted and I've noticed like, you know, maybe like 10 defensive cards 
in these decks that I've had, like the Nationals decks and all that, that's like the most that I have in those decks. You know, like six, five or six evil characters and a few enhancements. As long as you're not passing someone like a Death of the Unrighteous or something that's just game-breakingly powerful. Like, you don't need to block every single attack. And the more defense you have, the harder it's going to be for you to rescue. Because you're not going to be drawing good cards on your turn. You're going to be drawing, you know, defense. Which is fine if you need to block, but if you can't rescue, you're not going to be getting closer to, you know, winning. So certain defensive cards I will always look out for are stuff like um, a Gomer or a Messenger of Satan or something that bans, because then you can use everyone else's defense. Archers of Kadar is really good. Um, Generic things like that. Things that are immune to lone heroes, or an Emperor Claudius immune to New Testament heroes. Uh, big evil characters like Leviathan, you know, I'll throw them in there as one ofs. Otherwise, if you start seeing like a lot of a certain color, like brown, you see like Gibeonite trickeries, might want to start taking those. You see uh, Cora's Rebellions, stuff like that from Patriarchs, you want to think about taking those. Because you also want to draft in a way that's uh, almost like counter-drafting, where you are drafting things purely because you don't want to face them, like a household idols or something. So I think people who are drafting all the defense are doing it just to get stuff that, that match, or maybe they just like to block, you know. In, in two-player, I don't have as much experience. I know it's way more important there, because... You know, you only have one person to go against and they're only going to go against you. Uh, I would put a more emphasis on that in two player for sure. But in multiplayer, like you want people to attack you. So you have other souls to go after. Like you want for the most part to give your souls away. So that people are more focused on you. Versus maybe going after somebody else across the table who has a soul that you can rescue, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I got you there. So you mentioned sometimes you will take a card just because you don't want to face it, you know, defensively drafting, so to speak. How much do you, and, and at what point do you start doing that? Is there a value cost in your head? Like, I could take this card and it could help me out, but I really don't want to face that. And at what point do you start making some of those decisions to just take cards that you don't want to see. Uh, I guess that depends on how badly I want to win or not. Like if I see something in my pack, that's like a, uh, covenant covenant with death, for example, would you covenant with death? I don't know. Stuff like that doesn't have as much of an impact on booster because it's not so much of the, you know, competitive type one scene as, it is it's it is really more about you know finding cards that match and characters and enhancements that match each other it's not so much you're going to win off of just character abilities although sometimes that happens in booster quite a bit if you your opponent has a lot of banding cards if you know that you're going to be weak to like a covenant with death then 
you should probably think about taking it even over something else that's powerful for you just because you know you don't know exactly what everyone else is going to take it it could come back around to you whatever you want especially if it's an enhancement because people aren't going to be taking the enhancements that don't go with their cards at least for the most part unless they're just you know blind drafting whatever they think is cool okay is there any card types that you completely avoid Mm, most artifacts i will avoid unless they're like the unholy writs or certain covenants covenant of palestine that kind of thing uh pretty much all sites outside of like obviously the good ones like ends of the earth or something um, fortresses are pretty bad Wait, in booster. Hold on, hold on. So you said all the sites on list are the good ones, like the ends of the earth. So isn't that the card that you created? Yeah, pretty much specifically for booster draft. Nice. So you you shouted out your own card. I just I wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. Well, because the one time I actually drafted it, I it helped me so often. I was like, okay, well, it was well spent. Um, <laughs> Other than that, no, like sites are just bad uh, overall, unless they're like uh, Babylon, the one that can convert to an evil character. I mean, that's not really a site at that point, but there's so many multicolor heroes running around now. Sites used to be better in the past where you could take, uh, you know, teal sites and be like, okay, you know, nobody can get in unless they have teal heroes, which really weren't that good in the past outside of the few good enhancements they had like burning incense or something. Uh, but nowadays and in two player, like you can't even use them. So kind of worthless. Uh, fortress is also not really high on my list unless it's like a, like a wall of protection or gates of hell or something. Those are pretty good. Wall of protection, usually there's plenty of that can get past you. It's like a last pick anyway. But it's usually good enough to make the cut if you have a lot of banding. Um, certain evil enhancements definitely are low, unless they're really good. Uh, what other types are there, really? Uh, at that point, I mean, you're looking at possible covenants but those fall into the artifacts so i think you pretty much hit it all because you want your you want your main heroes you want some good enhancements to match up with those and then i think you you pretty much touched on all of the uh, support cards the only one that you didn't really mention there is dominance but those don't come up very often in, in booster that i've experienced you might get like now um every now and then you'll get a random um like vain philosophy or, or i'm sorry Vain Visions out of um, Prophecy of Christ, I think. Yeah. Uh, yep. If you open one of those packs, and then you can use that to look at the top six, and you can kind of use that, even though you might not have any evil prophets, you can use that kind of for soul gen or, or something like that. Yeah, yep. I, I did draft that one tournament, and it was very strong. Dominants are quite game-swinging, like Grapes, always a very uh, tough card to beat. Mayhem, ob- obscenely powerful. 
Uh, Chariots of Fire just breaks the format. But, you know, other dominance, eh, you know, destruction, eh, it's okay. Uh, I don't think you can get harvest time. Um, I don't think Guardian is really all that useful apart from maybe protecting souls. Yeah, We're talking like, about the cloud or the revelation of John one. Yeah. If they hit like death of unrighteous, you can keep a soul on the board or something. Yeah. Yep. Uh, otherwise dominance like falling away, isn't going to come up. I don't think people are going to be pulling the starter deck dominance unless it's a vain philosophy. That comes up quite a bit, actually. Yeah, well, I know that they're, with the latest uh, booster set, GOC Phase 1, I don't know how, how we're going to handle booster draft with that if anyone does it with just Phase 1 because they started putting every card from the starter decks, the INJ starter decks, as the back filler cards. Oh, great. So you get like a dominant pack that has Son of God, Angel of the Lord, Christian Martyr. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so something's going to have to be worked around. But that's obviously just a temporary issue until we get, you know, both phases combined. I mean, it's kind of my opinion, at least since uh, Prophecies of Christ came out, that dominance should be just completely banned from Booster anyway. Just because of like Chariots of Fire is Son of God that you don't need souls to rescue you just get one of your heroes and that's that's very strong in booster yeah it was uh brian jones that got chariot of fire and the second coming in booster draft one time at either regionals or nationals i don't remember which but right. i remember yep. hearing about that and just two free souls in booster draft it really does break it i would say yeah that's basically game over at that point and I know one player that I drafted with at some states or something had two second comings that he drafted from that. And, I mean, that's that's a lot of money. That's good. Could only play one, but still. Uh, yeah, I don't think Booster would suffer if dominance were removed completely. And even some dominance. I think there was one in uh, the set before this one, the Lineage... Yeah, that was like a withdraw all heroes or so, something like oh, that. Oh, if you had meek souls, a withdraw. Yeah. Um, what is that card called? Uh, Let astray. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. If you have if you have meek souls, which a lot of times people are playing meek souls with with booster draft. Right. If I mean, if you pull something like that, then you're going to be playing meek souls. If you pull something like a covet lost soul, you're going to be playing Old Testament lost souls. If you pull Heretics, you're going to be playing New Testament Lost Souls. I mean, you you got your different sets of souls to use just in case, you know? Yeah, so I could I could definitely see the case for just Dominance not being involved with Booster Draft. I think um, there was a new Dominant that somebody showed me from this new set that's like a Burial reprint or something. Yep, Burial and Burial, I'll pull it up for you and read the ability here. The new new burial under deck a lost soul or any number of meek lost souls, so it's it's basically another card like let astray, where you're getting almost a guaranteed. Um, and then if opponent has played a good dominant this turn, you may under deck a lost soul. Yeah, so 
I mean, if you pull that off in a two-player game, if you if you are able to get all your lost souls out basically, and your opponent has no soul gen, I mean, that's like game over. So, I I could definitely see the case for that and how it would skew things, especially if these dominants are like low rarity, like just rares or something. Then it's like okay, they yeah. they will come up more than is needed, like the chariots of fire. Yeah, and I guess that's one byproduct of. I think it's cool that the card designers, you know, the, the elder group that's made Meek Souls playable to where now you're questioning, like, there's strategy involved because it's do you want the abilities or does it benefit you to get some extra, you know, potential guaranteed blocks because you're using Meek All Souls and foregoing the speed bonus of having those abilities and whatnot and the consistency. But then you, you see that spill over now if those cards are all accessible and Meek Souls get all of these extra benefits with these low-rarity cards, they're going to come up a lot more in booster draft. So Right. Well, even if they were, you know, ultra-rare, like Second Coming or something, like the times they do come up and they matter, they matter a lot. Which is, uh, yeah, it's kind of like you can't really balance both the categories perfectly in that way. So, yeah... There's not much you can do about it apart from just saying, yeah, we're just not having dominance and booster anymore. You know, that's fine. That would probably be the best. It wouldn't be as exciting, but it would be more balanced and probably better off. Yeah, I I think like, especially with like burial, something like that, where you can hide all of the souls, there's not enough speed in booster draft typically maybe with some of the newer sets where you're getting a little bit more draw abilities that you can use kind of with whatever because you're you're able to splash a little bit more. But, like, the older sets, you're just not moving through your deck fast enough to where if they hide all of their souls, you're able to get enough of them back on the table because it's basically just whatever they draw in their three and then they do their turn, they draw three. They're not going to draw extra if they don't have souls on the board for you. So you're forced to have soul gen or you're just kind of locked out. Right. And, uh, you know, some of this also applies to uh, printing so many multicolor cards kind of, you know, makes it a little easier to find the stuff that matches. It's it's a bit of a kind of a balance between, you know, we're making the game better for constructed and also kind of better for booster, but it's less skill based now. It's more like, okay, I'll pretty much always have stuff that matches. Like with these newer sets, there's a lot of multicolor stuff that you can get that are coming in at common rarity and all that stuff that just, uh, I don't know, they they almost take away from the fun of it, of finding these unique things that you can do with older cards that you would never do in constructed stuff. I can see that, but I also, I guess to to be on the other side of that, taking away some of that and making sure that you're able to find things that match so that a new, a completely new player, when they go through the drafting process, maybe they're not left with, okay, I've drafted these cards and nothing goes together and now I'm going to have a bad experience playing the game. If you sprinkle in enough of those that just usually will find, you know, a body that they can be played on, you know, it... Maybe it takes away from the top end, you know, like the strategy and, and whatnot. It makes it more of a even playing field to where it, it you know, 
someone like yourself where you like to, you know, maybe the challenge of going through the process. I don't know if maybe the reason that they're, they're including that and all is just to raise the general experience of playing something like booster draft with newer players that don't, that wouldn't draft as well if it was a lot of mono brigade. Oh yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely some fun to that where you're like, Oh, I just got a triple brigade enhancement that works on like half my offense. Like, you know, that's great. That, that adds to the game. That's, that's a little spice, uh, stuff like that. You know, that's, that's really good. It's good that both new players and veteran players can find a lot of stuff that can kind of work easily together. It makes it a bit more fun and engaging. I think overall, it just takes a little bit away from uh, being super mindful of what's in the pack and, you know, making a call of, all right, this card's coming around. Oh, but it didn't come around. So now you're kind of stuck that sort of thing. Right. I guess, let me ask you this. You've gone through the drafting process. You've made your call on what you thought was going to be the strongest thing. And you've tried to find enhancements that pair with that. You've got your stack of cards from everything that you've drafted. How do you decide what makes the cut? And is there a a typical size, a deck that you're going for? Like I know my buddy, Jeremy usually goes 56 for the extra chance of, you know, limiting souls coming out. Or a lot of people will just stick with 50. You mentioned some people show up and they try to put everything in there. So they're like, here's 70 cards. What do you typically go for as far as the ideal deck size? And then how do you decide what makes the cut and what doesn't? So my overall experience is pretty much exclusively multiplayer. I played two player a few times. And I only ever bring 50 cards for, you know, any deck because that's just the amount of sleeves I have for booster draft. So I'm automatically limiting myself. So automatically I'm going to go through every card and weigh it against another one and be like, all right, I, you know, this is a great card, but I have to cut it. It doesn't quite do enough. That way you're constantly looking and constantly trying to thin down. So at the end of the draft, you know, you, you look at all the cards you want to play. Maybe it's like, you know, 60 cards and you're like oh, i i guess i gotta cut some or you go the other way and you draft for the soul drought and you're like okay i can play 56 and you know i won't be drawn as many souls as other people i can maybe outpace them that way you know both are viable i think i don't think it matters as much as it does in constructed where you definitely always want to see your best cards because in booster draft, you know, your top deck might not be the best card in your deck, but it could be the best card at the moment. You know, if it's just a hero of a brigade you need, then that's all you could ever ask for, really. Okay. And then, so when you're picking out those cards, do you lean more? Like, what? what's the breakdown? You said some of those decks that you went back and looked at only had like 10 evil cards. So, so you're, you know, 30, 30 cards of good in your deck? Or so? Yeah, well, I'll typically look and be like, I want like 13-ish heroes, you know, at the minimum, maybe like 15, 16 at the most, somewhere around there. Uh, Maybe 10, 
maybe an equal amount of good enhancements to go with them. Maybe not so much. It de- it really depends on what you get. I know one year at States, I drafted absolutely zero evil cards in my deck. I had, it was all good outside of a couple of burial shrouds, I think. And that was, that was enough. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it just works out. But typically my decks will all look basically the same, at least for multiplayer, where you'll have maybe 10 evil cards, maybe 15 if you have a bit more, and everything else will be good outside of Lost Souls. You always got the same Lost Souls, you know, 7 Old Testament, 7 New Testament. Or if you just get a bunch of ones that have abilities just naturally passed to you, you know... I, I don't prioritize Lost Souls ever, unless they're high-value Lost Souls like Hopper or uh, Covet or something that will generate more Lost Souls for you. Other other Souls, you know, New Testament only eh, has value and booster. Not too great otherwise. But usually the cards that I'll cut pretty much almost immediately are the extra cards, like the Artifacts, uh, Fortresses weaker characters and weaker brigades you know i might have a whole you know green brigade but i don't have any battle winners so i'll just probably end up cutting that sometimes more defense is better than more offense if the defense does more than the offense if that makes sense that would be like something like potentially if you get like messenger of satan to pair in which is going to give you like draw value is that what you mean yeah, or even just like another battle-winning evil enhancement, like a a capture card or something. Maybe like, uh, oh, a Night Raid. Night Raid's pretty good. That captures to the other player's land of bondage. You know, stuff like that will usually make the cut over a weak or good enhancement. I would say. Gotcha. You so, don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to be running too few evil characters with too few evil enhancements if you have better evil enhancements of a different brigade that you could be running instead like if you have only a few like one one or two brown characters maybe you don't want to be running those five good brown enhancements with them on the off chance you don't ever see those brown characters okay so after you've got that deck constructed and i guess we'll we'll do this exclusively for multiplayer booster drafts since that's where your experience is you know predominantly at so you sit down at the table you're ready to start the game how does a typical game of booster draft go for someone that maybe has never played it or someone that hasn't played it in a while um i'm pretty sure it's still determined by you know whoever has the most lost souls gets to choose who goes first um actually i think that would that would be updated with the recent rule change to where it's just a a random method to select so flip a coin roll a dice I would assume that that would spill over and also be for booster draft now. Oh well. Yeah, they they recently changed that for type one two player. So. Okay. Yeah, I I guess I was unaware of that. Uh, if that's the case, that's a little different. Because then it's, you know, random whoever starts. Although I would assume that means that the person who is the winner of that random method would get to choose who starts first still. Yeah, they, there was there would still be a choice, so they would choose who goes first. 
Okay. So typical, if you're the person choosing, you you want to choose somebody to go who will give you the better chance of rescuing a soul, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the the way that the random method works, you get you draw your your opening eight, and then at that point, so you know what's in your hand. So then you can use that to decide or or you know see what souls hit the table before any soul abilities activate or any star abilities. That's where you flip the coin, roll the dice, and decide who goes first. And then the person that is selected to go first would do their soul abilities, or actually do their star abilities first, then their soul abilities, you know, in that order. Mm, Yes. Um, Star abilities haven't really come up in too many games that I play, since most of them deal with the reserve and stuff. And that just basically doesn't exist in Booster unless you get really deep into it. So... That's not too much of a, an issue for deciding, but you have to look at if the person next to you has like four available lost souls, if you choose yourself to go first, you, you know, you rescue one of those souls, you could have two other people go, they could rescue the other two, and then you could maybe rescue that last one, kind of deny everybody the chance until that person draws again and they draw they could draw the first lost soul available for you to rescue. Nobody else would get a chance at it but you after that point. Stuff like that it would be the heavy consideration in determining how the start of the game goes. What are the early battle interactions that you typically <laughs> so, see? Do you see like someone, I've got to hear, generally my experience has been the first person that puts out a decent, moderately, decently strong hero usually poses the question that can't be answered early on because you don't have enough stuff that matches yet. Is that kind of typical in your experience? So basically the philosophy that I was uh, kind of raised around was, you know, first souls free pretty much for everyone. You know, if you have a hero, you rescue, you know, you'll probably get a soul assuming, you know, it's not some terrible hero that can easily die. As long as it's something, you know, people generally want the souls to be distributed evenly at first, just to get a feel of what everyone is playing. Uh, It's really, really bad to hard block somebody first turn because then your defense is out for, you know, the two other people that might come after you. So early on, it's better to save your defense until maybe somebody gets a lead, then you want to block them. I mean, unless you're Justin, and then you always want to block him. See, I was going to say, I was going to say first one free unless you're Justin. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've perused around and and found some, some information about, you know, not giving him, what is, what is the thing I found on Land of Redemption? Justin can't get to seven if he can't get to one. Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) I mean, if you're at a table with, uh. Justin, myself, and Bill. I think Bill will, Wild Bill, he'll try and block both of us just because he doesn't want us to get souls, even though he's like the best player you could play against. I love him. (laughs) How different is the gameplay just for for those that are completely like they've listened to this and Booster Draft is now something that they, you know, might want to try out, but they still have no experience in that. What is the interaction, you know, player, player to player? Even even in the multiplayer, you know, space when you go into battle and, and each turn, 
How is the interaction different than that of type one, two player where basically speed and consistency is king? Well, I mean, first off, if this is multiplayer, then it's already different because you got other people, you know, competing for the same thing that everyone else is. So it's basically you don't want to get too far ahead unless you know that you're just going to walk with it because then everyone will be against you and they'll play their cards in hopes of, you know, sabotaging you. They'll band your guys and they'll kill them off and all that stuff, which typically happens anyway. But in either case, um, you don't have the same engines that are available in type one. You're just going to be playing a little slower game for the most part. I know they've added lots of drawing and searching and stuff, so you're going to be doing all that stuff anyway. It's just not going to be as streamlined. It'll be rougher. You'll use cards because they're available to you, not because they're the best cards. And you'll try and make the most of it. The games will be, I think, a bit more interesting because you'll never play the same game twice. Your deck will come up differently pretty much every time. Uh, You're not going to have to worry about the opponents dropping dominance on you like they do in two-player. You're not going to have to worry about them completely comboing you out of the game unless they draw obscenely good. Uh, For the most part, I would say it's more casual. It's more laid back. It's, It's a more relaxed experience. It's... It's like a tamer type one, if that makes sense. I would agree with that. I think when I go to a tournament, okay, I'm thinking about I want to do well in type one, two player, and I want to do well in, you know, if we play teams. But when it comes to like this or even sealed deck, it's kind of like, eh, if I don't win, I'm okay with that. Because, right, exactly. you know, it, it, there's a lot more of. Like, it's out of your control because you're limited to what you draft and then what the opponent, you know, has drafted and what they saw in their packs and what whether that first card, that rare in the pack was really good for them, whether it was really good for you. I guess there's a lot more outside of your control to where you don't invest so much energy into, I have to win, I have to win. Right, that's, that's definitely a good attitude to have. Like, I know in my last game, uh, 20... 17 nats if i had won that game i think i would have won the tournament i just i picked the wrong person to attack with her you know the the shuffle hand hero to draw yep like um because they blocked me with red dragon or something and i was like oh well (laughs) Uh, i was never winning that one but you know sometimes it just boils down to you know the luck of all right i attacked correctly so I won the soul and it's, it is a really good attitude to not expect to win. Even if you might have the best deck, like as long as you have fun with it, it, that should really be the most important thing. Like I go into every booster draft, mostly just purely wanting to see what kind of deck I'll end up with, not caring too much about winning or anything like that. That's the most exciting part for me. And, uh, I think that's the most interesting, kind of the most draw that could be attributed to the category, at least for me. Yeah, I can see that. So over the course of uh, a tournament, you know, a big tournament or whatnot, 
when people draft their um, their decks. This is, I guess depends on what packs you've used for the draft, obviously. But what are some of the the types of decks that you know you're going to face? So there's going to like generally there's going to be someone that's playing a lot of blue Genesis because there's a lot of those in the filler cards in a lot of packs. Um, you know, pa- old patriarchs and whatnot. But what are some other you know decks that you know are are rescue attempts that you're going to see from people that have matched things up? So a lot of that will come down to at least in your first games, uh, if you're keeping track of all the cards that are going around, if you see somebody attack with like a you know a white hero, they're probably going to be playing you know a certain enhancement that you've seen go around like patriarch travels or whatever. They're going to try and band, or they're going to try and, uh, you know, draw three with the words of encouragement or something that you saw. So you'll have an idea of what they're attempting to do based on the cards that you've seen. Um, Certain brigades lend themselves to different strategies, of course. And I know the newer sets, like Lineage of Christ, are very much brigade-centric, like blue and red are very prominent i think um certain strategies in that like the brown they will always try and protect meek souls and stuff uh there's gold like the post-exilic stuff which will always try and do the same stuff um certain things but after that after that first game you you really have no idea what everyone else is playing until they start doing it and then you you get kind of a sense of what could be in the packs based on uh, what packs you use. So if you do a lot of Kings packs, probably see a lot of banding, those heroes fight by the number stuff. If you do a lot of uh, uh, disciples, you know, you'll see the disciples, you'll see, oh, Philip Bartholomew, you know, those same rescues. You tend to find those patterns pretty quickly if you expand your knowledge and all the card types and all the card abilities and everything that could come in a set. Um, it's really more of a, the more knowledge you have, the better you will be at the game. Yeah. That probably goes true for every category. The more you're familiar with cards and what you can know about your opponent's, you know, intentions, what they're going to play, you know, like in type one, two player, I think, you know, you're getting decently good at reading the opponent when you know before they ask for dominant initiative if they're about to drop Christian Martyr or Angel of the Lord on you with your lone hero or lone evil character. I think that was one of the, the first things that, like, when I felt like I was getting, you know, at least competent, you know, I'd come out with it and I'd be like, all right, you got Angel? All right, you do? Okay. And right. You, you know, you just know it's coming, but you have to do it because you have to get that resource out of their hand. The worst thing to do is to let them hold on to that resource and then you still not block and then you give up that soul and they've still got Angel of the Lord. So you make them burn it and whatnot. And I think once you start learning cards and knowing and you start getting a feel of what's going to happen just a little bit before it happens, you start picking up on things. And, and I guess that that's probably true for each category that you play. Right. It's I think it's especially true for Booster Draft because your knowledge has to be quite more expansive because you have to know these weird obscure cards you know like uh like benefiting from troubles or something 
where it's like you you would never see that in constructed or certain side battle cards like you have to anticipate okay they could play ambush the city or something if they're rescuing gold and that would take out your best blocker if you block with them stuff like that that doesn't come up in you know constructed especially with the rotation and stuff now like you won't see these old cards anymore outside of booster draft really or unless there's like a legacy uh two-player event yeah so and and i guess you're also at more of a disadvantage if you're a newer player like myself who came in in 2019 so the only experience i would really have with most of these cards these obscure ones would be through booster draft and i haven't played a ton of that you know i've only played like four or five times total so far so you know part one of getting better i guess would just be to familiarize yourself with different patterns that you can get from packs because i have noticed even in the short time is like Sometimes you could open a pack and you see one card. That means you're going to see that other card somewhere, either in that pack or someone else's pack, just because it's so common and those patterns just kind of, you know, replicate themselves, you know, mm. throughout the that set of cards or whatnot. Yeah. See, that didn't used to be a thing um, until, like, they started adding the tin cards, and then you could, you know, tell, okay, you know, we got this half of this tin. We'll probably see the other half at some point. Um, I don't know how it is with the newer set cards, if those are always kind of in the same order. Um, I, th- I think those are pretty, pretty well randomized and it's yeah. just, it's just like the, the ones that are in the back, like if you get not a super pack, but one of the ones that have all the older cards in the back, you generally, like if you get one old blue patriarch, there's usually two or three in that pack. And so, you know, you can take one and then hopefully it comes back around and you've got another one or whatnot. And you, you just kind of see similar packs replicated. Right. Yeah. So typically, you know, you see the tin cards maybe and you take a character, you leave the enhancements, those enhancements might come back to you and then you start taking those. Um, stuff like that you can you can anticipate and you can um, kind of plan to have happen based on the cards that you see if you're familiar enough with it which is not all that hard to be so how much of a factor is soul drought and soul gen in this format in your opinion after playing you know a wide you know sample size i would say it's absolutely game determinant like if you don't have souls to rescue you're not going to win uh if you don't have soul gen you're going to be relying on everyone else just to draw them up and depending on how they build their decks that is not guaranteed it's not really reliable so absolutely the biggest factor in your success in the category as far as you know winning will be if you have souls to rescue and there are certain ways you can uh, kind of mitigate that problem I know they've included a lot more soul gen in recent sets, which is very good. Uh, I, I still wish they kind of would do a little more just to have so much of it that it's not even a problem anymore. But I think a lot of players now, at least in booster, they have enough abilities that draw cards that do stuff that naturally get souls out too. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, there's a good, amount of and in various brigades heroes that generate souls just by them going into battle you know play a lost soul from an opponent's deck 
and those heroes would probably be even more valued in booster draft, I would assume. Oh, especially. I know um, in 2014 when I won that year, that was the year early church was released for the first time. That was the first printing of that in booster draft. And I got one of the clay heroes, uh, like a, a deacon or something that brings out a soul, assuming you have the most souls. So I think the very last turn, I think the game was tied four ways. Four, four people had four souls each, and I drew on my turn a lost soul. I was the only one on the table with the soul, but I had that hero who could search an opponent's deck for a soul if I had the most, and I was able to rescue it and win. Um, and I know there was another hero in that set that was like Barnabas or something that straight up just searches a soul, and that's like the best card you could possibly get because it's a hero, A, and B, you know, searches a soul, which is your win condition, rescuing souls. So if you can find heroes like that, you will be way better off than picking just a a random other card in the pack. Even if it's like, you know, potentially a high value card, if you are playing to win, you're looking for the cards that are going to generate souls for the most part. Heroes that capture evil characters to the other people's territories like Hosea, very good. Um, Enhancements that make other players draw cards. There's that gold one from Thesaurus. Uh, Meeting the Messiah or something. I forget what it's called. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Heroes that draw other people cards like Generous Widow, even though its stats are very bad, you know, or you can... Gen- generous Giving as well, I think, is one. Um, That's the one that interrupts and each player may draw two. I guess it doesn't force them, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Something like... What is it? Philip's Daughters? I think that's a Persecuted Church card. I'm pretty sure that was my first uh, first pick out of the Persecuted Church pack when I drafted in 2015 Nats, when I think I tied for third. And that helped a lot. That's the one where you uh, the opponent has to underdeck four cards from hand and draw four or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they have to reveal and underdeck four random cards. And then they draw an equal number. And it's also CBN. So yeah. there's no worry about it not happening. Yep. Stuff like that, where you're making them cycle through their deck. That's a, just a different form of soul gen. That's like top priority. And a lot of games are won and lost by that. Yeah. Not to mention, I guess, if you're following the strategy that you mentioned before, where first one's free because you don't want to put all your defense on the table early, you could also probably force them to put some of their defense back in their deck if they've you know held it in their hand because they're going to want to keep their good cards for their rescue attempts. You're right. Like stuff that looks at hands, like Urim and Thummim or something, that's very good because then you can find out, okay, this person doesn't have defense. I can just attack them. That's, that's really how I won in 2014. The very last table was Gabe, uh, Travis Brown, the Three Lions guy, and one other guy. I was able to look at Gabe's hand somehow. I think I blocked him and looked at it and found that he had like uh, one or two Korra's Rebellion that Brown interrupt remove all. And I was like, okay, 
I, I won't be attacking him. So I had to pick between Travis and the other guy. And the other guy had a regular two-liner Lost Soul back when that was still a thing. So I had to gamble and be like, all right, I'm attacking this guy. I'm rescuing half of this. I, actually, it was a three-liner because it locked other people out of rescuing it once I rescued the half. So yeah, if I didn't know that Gabe had such a massively bad defense in his hand, I might have attacked him and just lost the battle and then probably would have lost. So knowing what other people have definitely gives you a huge advantage. All the hand look stuff, that's that's usually a high priority, I would say. Yeah, and that's that's true in every category, but I can see it, especially like the fact that you typically wouldn't want to go for that line or soul, but then after getting the, the knowledge from Gabe – Probably probably helped you. Did you end up winning that game? Yeah, yep. That was the last one that uh had you lost your, your rescuing option because you went for Gabe just without checking the hand first, then could have changed the outcome of that game. Definitely. If the other person had drawn another lost soul, I would have lost, but they still just had their half of the three liner, so I was able to get it at the last second there. Yeah. Nice. But also you can, you know, mislead other people. You know, you look at somebody's hand and be like, ooh, you know, not attacking them. And then later you're like, all right, I'm 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 just going in because you know you can beat them. You can kind of bluff them out that way too by making them think, oh, you know, he can't, he can't beat my defense. But then you come in, you're like, yep, I know what you have. So I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up here and I'll, I'll, ask you one final question. I know it's not on the list here, but is there, is there a, I guess a memory of like one time where you, you picked cards because I feel like when I do booster draft, like I'll get one card and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this work with this. And then when it actually comes together and you have it, it doesn't work the way that you, you planned it. So is there like an experience you have where you thought you were going to pull off some cool move and it didn't work? Um, I'll tell you mine is I got Mighty Warrior and an enhancement that said um, you, it, it was somehow it was Soul Gen if I played it on my Warrior class. I believe it, it was a red enhancement. I forget what it was, but it did something to generate a soul. So I came in with Mighty Warrior and was going to play this, but it was the Mighty Warrior version that wasn't Warrior class. <laughs> so I was like, that that doesn't help me. And if it had worked, I would have won the game, and I ended up getting third. Mm. So, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. But do you have an experience like that where you were going to pull off some kind of, like, combo-type move and it just didn't work out? Oh, I'm, I'm sure there have been plenty of those. I know I've drafted stuff like uh, the very conditional stuff where, like, Trumpet Blast or something. And it ends up just being numbers. Um, stuff like gathering of angels. You know, you set your hero side. You're like, all right, great. Four turns later, it'll be able to ban to any hero. Four turns pass, the game's over, you know. Um, <laughs> stuff like that where it's a high risk. But you're like, okay, if it if I pull this off, I'll be the coolest one ever to exist. 
Yeah. That's like pulling off so reap and rejoice for your last rescue from Revelation of John or something. <laughs> like <laughs> or I put that I put that in one of my booster drafts and I was like, okay, if it comes down, it's situational. And then like, you know, after after you realize you have to have fewer redeemed souls. So if like I mean, you can't be doing it for your last soul, so then you're locking yourself out of a hand. And yeah. then you you realize that as you get ready to potentially play it. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, this doesn't work how I planned. Oh, right. man, I stink at booster draft. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that silver enhancement that rescues the soul at the cost of your hand um, in Angel Wars. You're like, oh, no, I'm still going to play it. <laughs> I got to get it for the style. And stuff like, um, oh, what was that one called? Oh, like any convert card. And you're like, oh, I got Saul Paul. I'm This will be the game where I convert him. No, just <laughs> it, it just never, never works happens. out. Like you see a Holy Spirit or something going around in an early church pack and you've drafted Saul Paul. You're like, yes, this time. And then it never comes up. The, that two card combo. I know in 2017 Nats, I drafted Eternal Inheritance and never once in any of those games did I ever play Eternal Inheritance. Never rescued a soul with it because it just never came up. Yeah, so the, those those have been some of my experiences with booster draft. Is I, I try to I feel like if you wanted to classify that and say what that issue is, it's trying to be the smartest person in the room when really you just need to be the most, I guess, competent and aware person in the room versus trying to be the one that's like, wow, you pulled that off in booster draft. Because <laughs> yeah, most well, of the time, the wow you pulled that off doesn't actually pull off. It's like playing that black enhancement that decreases Moses and Aaron or something, and you play it against Moses and Aaron, and you're like, huh, yep, I just did that. Or you're playing uh, Deceit Exposed or something, that gold enhancement that gets rid of uh, Sapphira and Ananias CBN, and you play it against Sapphira and Ananias, and you're like, yep, <laughs> just did that. I I don't know. I think it's about flexing who can be the, the coolest you know, who can find the weirdest stuff and be like, yeah, I did that. I blocked a ship to Cyprus with my Leviathan because he negates enhancements with ship in the title. Um, who can pull off that most obscure, like two or three card combo. Yeah. Like who, what can you do during this side battle? You know, stuff like that, man, what, what I would give to be able to pull love and devouring Philistines in a booster draft. That'd be See, fine. I did pull love in that 2017 booster draft that I pulled internal inheritance and it never came up. Uh, I mean, yeah. devouring Philistines wasn't around yet, but still. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll get ready to wrap up here. Want to thank you guys for listening and thank you, Josh, for coming on and sharing some uh, wisdom with us about booster draft. Again, most of the strategy that was talked about is more derived from multiplayer booster drafts, so some of it isn't exactly going to line up perfectly for you for two-player, but the strategy should should be pretty similar overall. Yeah, I mean, multiplayer is the best anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, notice I didn't ask you that question, even though I had it on the list, because I figured I, figured I already knew the answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, well... Glad we could get this done, and thanks for joining.
All right, guys, thank you so much for joining for episode number 30 of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As always, I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in and helping the podcast be the platform that it is for the community. I want to thank Josh Knitt for joining us and giving us a little bit of wisdom into his strategy and experience with Booster Draft. And make sure you submit your guesses for the riddle for this week. And we'll look forward to talking to you all next week. As always, peace out. Thanks. Bye.